right, so t today I want to talk to you um, about putting on the new self, and we've been looking at this little series on the second half of, of uh, Ephesians, and we, we looked at unity for a couple of weeks, and um, Paul starts chapter 4 and chapter 3 by encouraging us to guard the unity that we already have in Jesus. Remember we looked at that? He said it's the, the, the Holy Spirit has brought us all together, saved us, transformed us, and given us unity. And our responsibility is then to guard the unity that is already given us. And we do that by the power of the Spirit. We don't have to create unity. It's already there. And then out of that, I spoke about the, the gifts, Ephesians 4. God gives apostles. Jesus gives apostles. He gives, he gives evangelists. He gives preachers and teachers. Something fell over. Is it someone's guitar? Sorry about that. Thanks, Mark. I hope it's okay, bud. <laughs> so God gives the gifts, evangelists, prophets, teachers, uh, apostles, and those gifts that are there to also help the body be unified. Those are preaching gifts, and they come to build up the body and bring unity to the body through preaching. Okay, and we need all of those gifts to function, and we had a look at that uh, also in the last couple of weeks. And so now Paul is getting a little more specific, and he's saying, well, actually, that's the big things that God has done to give gifts to the church, and we all have a gift that needs to be worked out. And now he's, he's zoning in a little bit more, and he's starting to talk about godliness, how we should live. And that's what he is dedicating the last couple of chapters to. How do we work it out with each other? Those are the big things that God has done. He's blessed us in an amazing way in Christ, an amazing salvation, the grace of God. And now we are unified. We're one in Christ. We have preaching gifts to help us get strong. But now how do we live it out with each other? And this is what he's going to speak about in verse 17. So we're going to read together. It says, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in the understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Jesus. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old and put on the new. And we're going to look at that this morning, what it means to put on the new self. And I said to you already over the last couple of weeks that Ephesians chapter 4 is a big turning point in this letter. In the first three chapters, Paul has talked about the big things that God has done. He's made this uh, unity clear and all these kind of things. And now he's bringing it into a more specific appeal to us. And I said to you um, last week, remember when we read Paul, sometimes he uses a negative example to explain what he's trying to say. And then he uses a positive example to reinforce what he's saying. And he does it again here. He uses both a negative example of what he's trying to say, put off the old, and the positive is put on the new. And he's really talking about godly living. And so he talks to them initially about what they shouldn't be, and then he, he puts it in a negative way, saying, oh, I don't want you to be like this. And then he puts it in a, a positive way, saying, well, you got saved, and now I want you to work it out and start your life to start looking like this. All right, so he's doing both of those. 
And he says, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And so this little word, therefore, is very important whenever we read the New Testament. And whenever we talk about holiness in the New Testament, we need to consider this always. It's a big hinge. Well, it's a small hinge for a big, big uh, truth that God wants to release to all of us. He's talking about freedom uh, for you and I. And I want to say this as a sort of underlining starting point. The Bible is not a book of ethics for unsaved people. Do you hear what I'm saying? The Bible is not an ethical manual for those that are unsaved. The closest that we have to that is the new, in the, in the, in the Old Testament is the Mosaic Law, which points out right and wrong. But in the New Testament, it's never, the writers of the New Testament are never trying to engage uh, unsaved people and say, this is how you should live. No, the New Testament is always about believers being encouraged to live a godly life. Are you with me? And so you, the Bible can never be used as a, um, a whipping stick and over unsaved people to say, this is how you should be and why aren't you like that and why don't you behave this way? It's never intended to be that at all. Paul says when, you are, when you're saved out of darkness into light, well, now we can start talking about some of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. And that comes by the power of the Spirit. Are you with me? And so whenever we read these things about godly living, we must understand that. Paul is saying, therefore, in the light of the fact that you are saved, therefore, in the light of the fact that you are now out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you are a new creation, now let me start to help you to say, well, how does that start to change your life? It's a very different thing. He's always encouraging, always trying to lift people out of the old and assure them that they are in the new, and then saying, the light of this thing that God has done in your life this is what you should start to look for in your life. So his first point is, considering the greatness of God's power in your life, don't live any longer like the Gentiles do, like the pagans do. There's a radical change that God has brought you into, and now your life needs to start reflecting that. And then secondly, he goes on and says, um, what was wrong with you before you were saved is actually what's wrong with the whole world. You notice that? He's saying that the world is in trouble, and actually you were part of that, and before you were saved, you were also in trouble. And so he's not saying it in a condescending way. He's, he's trying to get them to see this big thing that God has done for them. And he says, he says, continues and says, the world lives in the futility of their minds. He says there's a whole emphasis, emphasis that's wrong. On, on, on intellect and, and understanding and philosophy and, and, God, and, and worldly wisdom. And he's saying, I don't want you to think like that anymore. That's how the, the pagans live. That's how the philosophers live. That, that's how people who are not saved live. They think everything is just going to be rationalized, rationalized and thought out and you, we can make a plan to solve all the problems of the world. Actually, no, no, that's, not, that's, that's futility in your mind. That's not godliness. So what am I talking about? Am I laboring this a bit this morning? I'm trying to make this point clear. That's what Paul is saying. And so what he's trying to say to us, he's trying to say, you know, the Gentiles don't just need a little bit of advice on how to be bet better people. You know, we give a, a friendly word of advice to people that know Jesus. This is how you should live, and it'll help your life to be a little bit better. No, he's not saying that. He's saying what you need, all of you, 
all of us, we need a transformed heart. When we have a transformed heart by the power of the Spirit, all of our lives start to change. That's what Paul is saying. I've said it so many times, you're probably getting sick of it. The Christian life is from the inside out. It's always about the heart. It's always about what God is doing in us by the power of the Spirit. And out of that place of power, our transformed life starts to be obvious to other people. Yes? That's it. It's by the power of the Spirit. And so he's saying, don't think like a pagan. Don't, it's not going to help you contend with difficulties in life. It's certainly not going to help you to solve the problem of death. It's not about a debate or philosophical talk, which was actually the hallmark of the world that he was ministering into. The Greeks loved to get together in all the, 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 the great cities of the world and debate and talk about truth and, and say, well, what about this idea and what about that idea? And Paul says, all of that stuff's not going to help you. You need a transformed heart. That's what's going to help you. And so... All of that talk about philosophy and stuff didn't help to transform the ancient world, which was known for its moral decadence, its bankruptcy, its negativism. Well, I don't know about you, but I look at our modern world, and I still think it's plagued by decadence and moral bankruptcy and a whole lot of stuff. So what are we going to do? We're going to say to the world, we really need to think about this some more, and we need to be really philosophically accurate, and let, let's think about our universe. And, and I'm not knocking that. I love reading. I love study. I love all that stuff. But what Paul is saying is, actually, that's not going to transform your life. What is going to transform your life is the power of Jesus by the power of the Spirit in your heart, radically transforming you from the inside. Once you were in darkness, now you are in light. Now let your life start to reflect the light that is within you. That's what Paul is saying. And he carries on. He says, They are darkened in the understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. And because of that, they become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and practi uh, greed to practice every kind of impurity. And so I've kind of said these things. Let me just summarize them for you. He's talking about the intellect. He says, our intellect is darkened. I'm doing some study this year, as you know, and there's some very bright people. But I found this, that very bright people can at the same time, in some ways, also be quite dull. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying there's an ignorance of the heart that's got nothing to do with the intellect can be very, very bright, at the same time quite dull. You see, intellect, sharp intellect is not a guarantee of being a spiritual, spiritually aware person, a spiritually open person, a, a person that knows God. It's powerful when the two go together, absolutely. I'm not knocking study and intellect, not knocking that. Just saying we can't equate the one. I was a very bright person. Well, that's cool. But are you a spiritual person? And then he says, secondly, that, that that results in spiritual death, darkened understanding, it alienates people from God, and they no longer love to Him. Remember? Genesis says we, we originally were created with the life of God in us. Isn't that an amazing thought? We were perfect. And then because of sin coming into the world, we lost that spiritual life. And uh, there's no spiritual life in us apart from Christ. And so I love that movie, um, what's it called again? 
is it uh, the thin, I can't remember, but there's this phrase of dead men walking. So what, what is that movie? When they're going to the gallows? You know that movie? The Green Mile. That's a dead man walking. In other words, he's about to be executed. He's already dead. He's just walking to the execution. In a real sense, you and I are spiritually dead people without Christ walking around in this kind of existence that is not truly what God had for us. <laughs> but then by the power of the Spirit, when the Spirit comes, when the life, our hearts are transformed, we become spiritual people that are alive. Once we were dead in our sins, now we are alive in Christ and we live a whole transformed life. And so he goes a little bit deeper. He says the intellect begins to affect the heart and there's this wickedness that comes into the heart through hardness of heart. And that results in all this kind of impure living. So Paul really tries to labor the point and drive it home. And and, uh, I mean, whenever I read this, I'm always struck by the language. It's very, very straight, isn't it? It uses words like blindness, greed, deadness. He says that's how we were without Christ. And our, our sort of secular world doesn't like that. It likes to think, oh, no, we're actually quite cool. We're quite bright. We've solved so many problems. The world is a better place, and in some ways it is a better place. In the same, some ways it hasn't changed at all. We need people with transform, for, transformed hearts to move forward to see the kingdom come. And so that's the negative part. That's the negative part. He's kind of labored that. And now the amazing, amazing positive cry of Paul's heart, he says, but that is not the way you learned Jesus. All of that stuff that I'm talking about, that's not the way you learned Jesus. And now it's the positive appeal. He's, he he's quickly zones in and says, yeah, that's true, all of what you were, but let me remind you now. Let me remind you of what Christ has done and you've been saved. And let me remind you what that looks like because you've been saved. And that's the most important thing to help us understand how to live a godly life. We must constantly remind ourselves of what God has done for us. Every time we read the Word, every time we worship, every time we pray to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. Because it's not about you. If you're a bit like me, when I lose my temper with my family, I feel unsaved. No one knows what I'm talking about. Okay, so, you, all right? Anyone feel like that? Of course you do. You feel in that moment, you feel like, God, I've just, I've betrayed you and I'm so sorry and it's like I'm not even saved. <laughs> and now I've got to get up and preach. It's, it's not easy. This comes by the power of the Spirit. And, he, and I want to encourage you to remind yourself constantly of who you are in Christ. What Jesus has done for you. That you are son and a daughter of the living God. That he's redeemed you. That in the courts of heaven you are declared not guilty. And as you try and work it out in this life, sometimes you make some mistakes. But don't let that trip you up. You come running to the altar. You come running to the cross. You, do, you confess your sin and you live free. This is the good news of the gospel. That you don't have to carry guilt. You don't have to carry the sense of, of always in your heart kind of feeling like you've, you've messed up. And I mess up often. I'm not, I'm not putting myself on any pedestal. I mess up. But you know what? God has been kind to us. Did we sing it this morning? God has been kind to us. I want to encourage you that the kindness of God grip your heart again. Remind yourself of who you are in Jesus, regardless of the, when you mess up. And this is what, this is what uh, Paul says when he uses the phrase, uh, you, that's not how you learn Jesus. 
He's, saying, he's trying to say, what brought you to this amazing place? Well, you learned that Jesus was your Savior. You, you learned that there was infinitely more for you in Christ as you put your trust in Him. You, you, that's how you began. Don't lose that place. Continue in that place. There was a, a radical change that the Holy Spirit produced in you. Keep on going, reminding yourself of that. You heard His voice. And every time we hear the gospel preached, I want to I hope and trust that it's more and more drawing you to Jesus. It's more and more drawing you closer to Him. Jesus said that He's with whoever preaches, and so that uh, His Word can come to people through the, the priest's Word. And I want to put it to you that even when the preaching is bad, we can still hear the Word of God if our hearts are open. I have yet to meet a preacher that tries to preach badly. <laughs> When no one gets up into the pulpit and says, today, I really want to do a bad job. I really want to confuse you and make it really complex so you can't. No, no, no good preacher's heart is that. <laughs> every, every good preacher is trying to say, I want you to understand. I, I want you to understand more of Jesus. I, I want you to be to transformed by his love. I want your heart to grow. I want you to be enlarged and love people and love Jesus and love the world and see sinners saved. Of course, every good preacher wants that. And so he's really appealing and saying, face yourself and remember. Remember who you are. Remember what's happened to you. Remember how you learned Jesus. You learned your heart was blind because of sin. Remember. So don't live like you used to. <laughs> Jesus taught you a whole new way. And then he says, carries on. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, you were taught to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I'd just like to, for a moment, just cross-reference what we're doing today to an amazing portion in Romans. And if you've got to your Bibles, quickly go to Romans. I'm not going to read it, but Romans 6, you can just glance at it as, as I'm preaching. The first 11 verses. And I want to make a distinction as you read Romans 6, you can, if you've got, got, please go for it. Just take a moment to read Romans 6. I want you to read it with this, this frame in your mind, this kind of focus. It's about what God does to us, Romans 6. This is what He does to us. He puts us in Jesus by the power of the Spirit so that the old self is gone. The old person that we were has gone. That's what Romans 6 is saying. This, this passage deals with what has already happened. It's not something that we try to make happen. It's already happened. It's been done. The, this transaction has been done because of Christ and what He did for us. He's talking about our position, what Jesus has done, what God has done to us. Let's read it now. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You have been set free from sin because of Jesus. Now, if we have, been, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. You get it? That's what Paul's saying has been done to us by the power of the blood. Now, in terms of Ephesians, it's slightly different. It does not deal with what God has done to, for us, but what we do for God. You get it? That's what Jesus has done for us. The big stuff he's done, and it's crucial for us to understand that as we try and live a holy life. So Ephesians 4 says, it's reinforcing the old self is gone, and so the behavior of the old self must go as well. Romans 6 is saying this has happened in your history. This is what Christ has done for you. And now it says there's this new position that we have. We are in Christ. New identity, a new position. And Ephesians 4 is saying that is all true. Now make sure it happens in your behavior by the power of the Spirit. Okay. So Paul now says, well, if that's all true, how do you apply it to your life? How does it work out practically? And so he gives some very, very simple things. If you want to read a little bit further on for me in Ephesians 4 from verse 25, here are the details. Here's Paul the preacher. He's trying to give all the theology. He's trying to say, this is what's happened. That's what Christ has done for you. That's what the blood has done for you. You're now, now in Christ. You're a new creation. Put off the old, put on the new. This is what it looks like. This is what the new self looks like. Are you with me? Here he goes. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. First thing. Why? Because we are members of one body. Two. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. That's the second thing. Third thing, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might have something to share with anyone who's in need. Fourth, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Don't tear down people with your words. Don't gossip. Don't, don't speak behind people's back in a way that dishonors them. He clarifies it again. He says, say only... Such things as is good for building others up. So practical. That fits the occasion. That it might give grace to those who hear. It's always about giving people the second chance. It's always about, as you long to, for God to, to be merciful to you, that you are merciful to other people that mess up. That's what Paul is saying. 
So let's have a look at those five things, and I'm concluding with this. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Paul talked about these big brushstrokes of the gospel, but now he gets down to the detail as he's going along. He says, speak the truth. Uh, when Jesse was at school, he did a philosophy course, and um, speaking the truth is something that people have thought about and debated for centuries. Should we speak the truth all the time? Is it helpful? What about if, if telling a lie will save hundreds of people's lives? All these kind of things that people put to you in a philosophical way. Uh, so the guys asked me to preach on suffering at the Christian Union, at, this, at Student Union. It was a great privilege. But I try to say to them, you know, we can talk about it ph- philosophically. Does God allow suffering? And we can get into a great debate about philosophy, um, about God and suffering. But <laughs> you've got to be able to live through suffering. You've got to live by your theology. It doesn't matter what you think philosophically. When you are going through a hard time, man, you need to get through that hard time. And your theology must help you get through that hard time. Are you with me? It's the same thing here. Speak the truth. And what is so important for us to see here is that Paul gives every Christian a reason for telling the truth. It's not a philosophical reason. Do you notice he says, for we are members of one body. He's talking to Christians. He's saying when you do not speak the truth to your neighbor, you're damaging someone in the body of Christ. You're damaging your, 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 your brother or your sister in Jesus. So you speak the truth to them in love, always. Why? Because we are part of the same body. That's what he says. Lying is ugly in itself. But Paul is pointing us to something that makes it even more ugly, what makes it more bizarre and repugnant. The thought that in the body of Christ there is deceit, that is completely repugnant to Paul. The thought that Christians would actually lie to each other, <laughs> would actually not tell the truth. He can't even begin to understand it. So why would you even do that? You are part of the same body. These are your brothers and your sisters. This is your family. Why would you lie to members of your family? Now speak the truth kindly, gently, in love. Speak the truth. You're one family. I want to remind you that grace always calls us higher. <laughs> What's the Old Testament Mosaic law? It says, you shall not bear false testimony. Grace takes you to another level. It says, no, you don't lie to each other, not just because of false testimony, but because you're part of the same family. That's why. And I want to remind you again, he's clearly speaking about Christians. With each other, he uses the word your neighbor, your brother, your sister. Not talking about unsaved people. He's talking about people in the church. You speak the truth to each other. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Of course, you've got to tell the truth to everybody. (laughs) I'm not saying go out of the church and speak untruth. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you speak the truth to everybody, but especially in the church, you speak the truth. Okay. And just a little bit of, a, of attitude stuff when we, when we speak the truth and we, when we act, to, um, new to, uh, act out towards one another. You know, the New Testament always encourages us, never just says be loving. It says love one another. It doesn't just say be gentle. It says be gentle to one another. 
It's easy to be, oh, yeah, I want to be a loving person. I want to be gentle. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Of course, I, intellectually, I agree. Of course, it's good for all of us to be loving and gentle and kind and all that stuff. And Paul doesn't let us get away with that. It's a, that's still keeping it in the realm of philosophy. A good idea. It's a good idea to love people. It's a good idea to be kind. No, Paul doesn't let us get away with that. He said, no, no, this is how you do it, with each other. With each other. <laughs> we learn to be kind with each other, loving each other. And that's, someone said, the church community is always full of people that you least want, sometimes would least want to be with. Isn't that true? Why? Because the church is a, is, is, is a bunch of people from all different backgrounds, all different cultures coming together, and then you have to work it out, and you really have to be kind and loving and gentle with people that are very different from you. What a privilege to work it out. This is what Paul says the church is. That's the point. And Paul is saying here, it's a community with a totally new lifestyle where we actually do live out kindness, forgiveness, prayer, confess our faults to one another. We don't lie to each other. We speak the truth in love. We build each other up in, in the holy faith. Why? Because we are God's holy people. We are royal priesthood. We are God's bride. And so then he says, secondly, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, you know Jesus got angry. You know, he, he, he cleared the temple with a whip. You know all those stories. There are times when it's good to be angry. The important thing is don't let the anger in your life cause you to sin. And don't remain angry for a long time. That's what Paul is saying. But don't let the sun go down if you're still angry. Man, I've had to learn that in my marriage, eh? Can't be angry with each other. Man, try to go sleep in the same bed as someone that you're angry with. It just doesn't work, does it? For those of you that are married, <laughs> have a terrible fight with your wife and don't say sorry and then try and go to sleep. It just doesn't work. Let, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Reconcile, get it right, get it right, and then you sleep like a baby. You just got to say sorry. Sorry, who, who was it uh, in the 80s? Uh, sorry, Tracy Chapman. Sorry, word we just can't say. Words don't come easily like sorry. But you can say, baby, baby, can I have Isn't it true? So Paul is asking us for something much higher and better. He's saying it's not good to get up the next day pretending that nothing's happened and expecting it all just to disappear. He's saying, no, deal with it before you go to sleep so that it's finished. Why? Well, because anger destroys things. That's why. You want to destroy relationships? Be angry with people. <laughs> you want to destroy your marriage? Be angry with each other all the time. It will destroy your relationships. Anger destroys relationships. How we speak to each other either builds relationship or it breaks it down. That's why he's saying be kind. Thirdly, he says, don't steal but work hard. Let the thief no longer steal. Let him labor so that he can have something to share with everyone else in need. <laughs> uh, you know, again, it's just the grace of God takes us so much higher. You know what the Old Testament law said? Six days you labor. One day you rest. It also says, 
you shall not steal. But here we see the gospel not only fulfilling the law, but it's not quite exactly the same as the law either. There's no legislation about six days of work as in the law. The gospel fulfills the law, but also adds this. It says, why do you work hard? It gives you a reason for working hard. It says you work hard so you can be a blessing to other people. That's cool. That's wonderful. Why do we work hard now? We work hard so we can provide for our families, absolutely, but also so that we can be a blessing to other people. We give generously in this church. Why? So we can meet our own needs, absolutely, but so also that we can take as much money as possible to Cambodia. So we're taking 8,000 U.S. dollars with us. Thank you. That's your money. We will steward it well. Thank you for being generous. That's why we work hard to provide for our families, yes, and to be a blessing to other people. That's what the gospel says. And then fourthly, and I'm finishing, let your speech minister grace to others. Yes? Man, this is a hard one, eh? <laughs> let your speech minister grace to other people. Let no, he puts it like this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it gives grace to those who hear. Paul's asking for godly talk. Can I appeal to you? God is doing such a beautiful thing in our church community. <laughs> Please, I'm appealing to you. By the, let the power of the Spirit help you. Ask daily that God will help you to speak kindly to others and speak well of others in your home groups, in your marriage, as moms and dads to kids. In every area of your life, ask the Holy Spirit to give you power to minister grace to other people by how you speak. Yeah? Nikki Gumbel says this. Whenever you get about to say something, think of a number of things. Is this helpful? Is this kind? Is this going to build the person up? Or is this going to do them damage? And if you can't say yes to those four things, don't say it. Oh, just let me tell you about Ange. You know, I really like him, but man, he's such a jerk in some ways, you know. I can tell you if that's your thoughts, I'm not accusing anyone here, but you certainly didn't get that when you were praying for me. <laughs> yes? I'm trying to appeal to you. This is what a supernatural community looks like. God is doing a beautiful thing in our church, and I'm not suspecting any one of these things. I'm just putting it out there to you. Just saying, come on, guys. Let's make sure that we are aiming to guard the unity that God has done in, the, in our hearts, and we do that by speaking well of people, kindly of people, in a way that builds them up. Do you know what that means? It means you want them to do better than you. I began to understand this as a dad. I had opportunities as a young person in terms of education. And, you know, but when my boys start doing well, I don't go, jeez, God, I wish they wouldn't do so well. This is not fair. You didn't do that for me. Why, why? No, of course no dad's like that. You, you want to see your children thrive. You want, yes, I want them to do well. I want them to do better than me. I want to have more opportunity. And in the church, it's the same. We should be wanting more blessing and opportunity for everyone, even if we don't see it ourselves. Why? It's speaking well. It's building up. It's saying, I want the future for you to be better. I want this church to be better for the, someone, when the, the person who takes it over from me, that it's, it's better than it's ever been. Why would I want to hand over a struggling church that's fighting with each other and kind of like 
not generous and not prayerful and not committed to preaching the Word of God and say to hand it off to someone and say, there you go. I trust it's a blessing for your life. Of course not. So let's do that for each other. So, he says it's be suitable for every occasion, should be helpful and minister to grace to those that receive it and shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. And lastly, I know these are tough, eh? I know this is not easy. I know that. You think it's easy to preach this. <laughs> the sword goes through your own heart every time. Every time. And lastly, what does Paul say? Show the habit of kindness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. As Christ in God forgave, as God in Christ forgave you. You know, I think um, uh, you know, I came from a macho culture in South Africa. Uh, it's not a good thing. You know, my, the culture I grew up in was like, men are macho, man. Men play rugby. They eat steak. They never cry. They're always tough. It's not very helpful. <laughs> Try and run your family like that. See if it helps you. It won't help you. It says, real men, godly men, What's Paul say? Are tender-hearted men. Fathers. <laughs> tender-hearted. I, I like to exercise and all that stuff, but I'm not, I don't want to be a macho man. Macho, macho. My, all my, my sort of historical musical references are coming out now. Macho man. That's no good. Don't try and be a macho guy, right? Don't be kind. Be gentle. Be tender. Forgive. Love your wife. Love your kids. That is true strength, according to the Bible. Let's live in that place. Yeah? So we've seen in other verses that Paul uh, uses the negative and positive thing. Uh, and here again, Paul is um, using all these different words for anger because, you know, anger expresses itself in so many different ways. Some people are violent when they are angry. Others can be uh, resentful. And you know something is wrong, but they won't say what's wrong. But they're still so angry inside passive-aggressive. Do you know some people like that? Man, you just walk into the room, you know something is wrong here, but they won't say anything. Like, mm. <laughs> it's still anger. I mean, it's not good to shout. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. That's my problem. But slander is equally deadly. It is so deadly. It is so ugly. Ugly! You know, no sport. He doesn't. He doesn't say, "I want you to go and pray about these things." You notice that? He doesn't say, "I want you to get deliverance from anger, cast the demon out of your life." He tells them to do something about it. Yes, and what does he say? You put these things away. That's what you do by the power of the Spirit. You put them away. And you say, I will not 
tolerate that in my life anymore. You put it away by the power of the Spirit. You can do something about anger, about unkindness, by the power of the Spirit, just as I can. Are you with me? Put it away. And then, that's the negative thing, put it away. The positive thing, be kind, compassionate, forgiving, loving. This is a supernatural community. This is where we should be living it out. And he's trying to say, get into the habit of trying to be constantly kind. And that's not, we don't get that perfect all the time. But he's saying, let the Spirit lead you. So when you walk by the Spirit, you're being constantly led into kindness, compassion, tenderhearted. And then he concludes, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So, I'm concluding. He says this, God's made us his children, his sons, his daughters, and so we become imitators of him as his children. And we start to reflect like a mirror what God has done for us, we do for others. Children learn to become like their moms and dads, don't they? That's part of the pain of parenting as well, is that you start to see in your children some of your weaknesses. But it's true. That our kids also take on our strengths. They start to become like us. And so what Paul is trying to say is that we need to be representatives of Christ to other people. God's loved us, and so we walk in love in a way that corresponds to what Jesus has done for us. The more we understand we're completely undeserving of Christ's love, you might not think that others deserve something that you want to give them. But just remember, you never deserve the love of Christ yourself. We don't give it away because people deserve it. We give it away because God lavished it on us and we love others in the same way. And so this is the kind of thing that God wants the church to start reflecting, a supernatural community, every one of us. Speak the truth. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't steal. Work hard. Let your way you speak to people minister grace. Show kindness to others. Get in the habit of showing kindness. And these are the things that Paul says, God, that unity that God has given us. The big thing God has done for us, the preaching helps us, and this is how we work it out practically as we start living like this. Okay, I understand this is, um, it's hard to hear sometimes, but this is, this is what God has for us, yeah? I'm going to just pray and ask God that he will help us by the power of his spirit, and then we're done.